0: I've got the big book right here, right next to me. And oh man, shh, I'm trying to record. Shh, I'm texting my friend. There, now we shut this up. Do not disturb. Oh, there we go. Okay, sorry, I apologize. Um, as I was saying, there aren't a lot of announcements this week, um, except, um, I realized that doing fave book and fave song was quite a bit too much, so, and also the jingles, I'm running out of jingles, so I have decided to add, um, quotes at the end of each episode, and that's what I was just doing, actually. Um, I looked up several quotes, some sweet, amazing quotes that I love, um, that I think you will like as well. So then I'll read a quote and then I'll say, oh, so what do you think of, you know, and you really should take this into account and, you know, just thinking. And, 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 yeah, you know, deep, deep time. Okay. So um, that's basically what we're gonna do and, I will also, if that if that week, like for example this week, I, I, I just started a new series, a book series, which is bad because I have an exam coming up and I need to study, but whatever. Um, and I'll say, oh, I'm really liking this book series. I think you would like it too. And I'll recommend it to you. And that's like, if I have something to recommend, I'll recommend it at the end of the episode. So sometimes yes, sometimes no. So, um, you know, this week maybe I found a new song that I really like and I think you'll enjoy it too. So I'll give you that as well. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much about it. Um, nine listens since I dropped the episode on Saturday, you guys. Nine listens. This is crazy. Um, I don't know what I'm, what are y'all doing with your life? Like, really? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so we've got that done. I don't think there's anything left to say, so let's start with the book, shall we? Uh, I'm going to move this, scoot that back. There we go. I'm really hoping you can hear me well. This new microphone is amazing. I love it so much. Okay, um, I think it was page 210. Yes, ma'am. Page 210. Alright, so a little bit of a recap. We started Pride and Prejudice, and we met the Bennet family. And Mrs. Bennet was so excited because Mr. Bingley has just moved into Netherfield. I'm basically translating this for you into (laughs) regular language. Um, He just moved into Netherfield, and they're having a ball, and they're gonna have Mr. Bingley there. And so... Mrs. Bennet, what she wants is to get her daughters married, right? And, well, that's basically, yeah, she wants to marry one of her girls, five girls, one of her five girls, she wants to marry her them off to Mr. Bingley and whoever else is nearby. Um, so yeah. Alright, are we ready? Here we go. Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Chapter 3. Not all that Mrs. Bennet, however, with the assistance of her five daughters, could ask on the subject, was sufficient to draw from her husband any satisfactory description of Mr. Bingley. They attacked him in various ways, with barefaced questions, ingenious suppositions, and distant surmises, but he eluded the skill of them all, and they were at last obliged to accept the second-hand intelligence of their neighbor, Lady Lucas. Her report was highly favorable. Sir William had been delighted with him. He was quite young, wonderfully handsome, extremely agreeable, and, to crown the whole, he meant to be at the next assembly with a large party. Nothing could be more delightful. To be fond of dancing was a certain step towards falling in love, and very lively hopes of Mr. Bingley's heart were entertained. "'If I can but see one of my daughters happily settled at Netherfield,' said Mrs. Bennet to her husband, and all the others equally well-married, I shall have nothing to wish for.' In a few days Mr. Bingley returned Mr. Bennet's visit, and sat about ten minutes with him in his library. He had entertained hopes of being admitted to a sight of the young ladies, of whose beauty he had heard much, but he saw only the father. The ladies were somewhat more fortunate, for they had the advantage of ascertaining from an upper window that he wore a blue coat and rode a black horse. An invitation to dinner was soon afterwards dispatched, and already had Mrs. Bennet planned the courses that were to do credit to her housekeeping, when an answer arrived which deferred it all. Mr. Bingley was obliged to be in town the following day, and consequently unable to accept the honour of their invitation, etc. Mrs. Bennet was quite disconcerted. She could not imagine what business he could have in town so soon after his arrival in Hertfordshire and she began to fear that he might always be flying about from one place to another, and never settled at Netherfield as he ought to be. Lady Lucas quieted her fears a little by starting the idea of his being gone to London, only to get a large party for the ball, and a report soon followed that Mr. Bingley was to bring twelve ladies and seven gentlemen with him to the assembly. The girls grieved over such a number of ladies, but were comforted the day before the ball by hearing— that instead of twelve, he brought only six with him from London, his five sisters, and a cousin. And when the party entered the assembly room, it consisted of only five altogether, Mr. Bingley, his two sisters, the husband of the eldest, and another young man. Mr. Bingley was good-looking and gentlemanlike. He had a pleasant countenance and easy, unaffected manners. His sisters were fine women, with an air of decided fashion. His brother-in-law, Mr. Hurst, merely looked the gentleman, but his friend, Mr. Darcy, soon drew the attention of the room by his fine tall person, handsome features, noble mien, and the report which was in general circulation within five minutes after his entrance of his having ten thousand a year. The gentleman pronounced him to be a fine figure of a man. The ladies declared he was much handsomer than Mr. Bingley, And he was looked at with great admiration for about half the evening, till his manners gave a disgust which turned the tide of his popularity, for he was discovered to be proud, to be above his company, and above being pleased. And not all his large estate in Derbyshire could then save him from having a most forbidding, disagreeable countenance, and being unworthy to be compared with his friend." Mr. Bingley had soon made himself acquainted with all the principal people in the room. He was lively and unreserved, danced every dance, was angry that the ball closed so early, and talked of giving one himself at Netherfield. Such amiable qualities must speak for themselves. What a contrast between him and his friend! Mr. Darcy danced only once with Mrs. Hurst and once with Miss Bingley, declined being introduced to any other lady, and spent the rest of the evening in walking about the room speaking occasionally to one of his own party. His character was decided. He was the proudest, most disagreeable man in the world, and everybody hoped that he would never come there again. Amongst the most violent against him was Mrs. Bennet, whose dislike of his general behavior was sharpened into particular resentment by his having slighted one of her daughters. Elizabeth Bennet had been obliged by the scarcity of gentlemen to sit down for two dances, and during part of that time... Mr. Darcy had been standing near enough for her to hear conversation between him and Mr. Bingley, who came from the dance for a few minutes, to press his friend to join me. "'Come, Darcy,' said he. "'I must have you dance. I hate to see you standing about by yourself in this stupid manner. You had a much better dance.' "'I shall not. You know how I detest it, unless I am particularly acquainted with my partner. At such an assembly as this, it would be insupportable.' "'Your sisters are engaged, and there is not another woman in the room "'whom it would not be punishment to me to stand up with.' "'I would not be so fastidious as you are,' cried Mr. Bingley, "'for a kingdom. "'Upon my honour, I never met with so many pleasant girls in my life "'as I have this evening, and there are several of them you see uncommonly pretty.' "'You are dancing with the only handsome girl in the room,' said Mr. Darcy, "'looking at the eldest Miss Bennet.' "'Oh, she is the most beautiful creature I have ever beheld. "'But there is one of her sisters sitting down just behind you who is very pretty, "'and I dare say very agreeable. "'Do let me ask my partner to introduce you.' "'Which do you mean?' "'And turning around, he looked for a moment at Elizabeth, "'till catching her eye, he withdrew his own and coldly said, "'She is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me.' I am in no humour at present to give consequence to young ladies who are slighted by other men. You had better return to your partner and enjoy his smiles, for you are wasting your time with me. Mr. Bingley followed his advice. Mr. Darcy walked off, and Elizabeth remained with no very cordial feelings toward him. She told the story, however, with great spirit among her friends, for she had a lively, playful disposition, which delighted in anything ridiculous. The evening altogether passed off pleasantly to the whole family. Mrs. Bennet had seen her eldest daughter much admired by the Netherfield party. Mr. Bingley had danced with her twice, and she had been distinguished by his sisters. Jane was as much gratified by this as her mother could be, though in a quieter way. Elizabeth felt Jane's pleasure. Mary had heard herself mentioned to Miss Bingley as the most accomplished girl in the neighborhood, and Catherine and Lydia had been fortunate enough never to be without partners— which was all that they had yet learned to care for at a ball. They returned, therefore, in good spirits to Longburn, the village where they lived, and of which they were the principal inhabitants. They found Mr. Bennet still up. With a book he reads regardless of time, and on the present occasion he had a good deal of curiosity as to the events of an evening which had raised such splendid expectations. He had rather hoped that his wife's views on the stranger would be disappointed, but he soon found out that he had a different story to hear. "'Oh, my dear Mr. Bennet!' as she entered the room. "'We have had a most delightful evening, a most excellent ball. I wish you had been there. Jane was so admired, nothing could be like it. Everybody said how well she looked, and Mr. Bingley thought her quite beautiful and danced with her twice. Only think of that, my dear, he actually danced with her twice. And she was the only creature in the room that he asked a second time.' First of all, he asked Miss Lucas. I was so vexed to see him stand up with her, but however, he did not admire her at all. Indeed, nobody can, you know. And he seemed quite struck with Jane as she was going down the dance. So he inquired who he was, who she was, and got introduced and asked her for her, for the two next, then the two thirty dance with Miss King, and the two fourth with Maria Lucas, and the two fifth with Jane again, and the two sixth with Lizzie and the boulanger. If he had had any compassion for me. "'cried her husband impatiently. "'He would not have danced half so much. "'For goodness' sake, say no more of his partners. "'Oh, that he had sprained his ankle in the first dance. "'Oh, my dear, I am quite delighted with him. "'He is so excessively handsome, "'and his sisters are charming women. "'I never in my life saw anything more elegant than their dresses. "'I dare say the lace upon Mrs. Hurt's gown.' "'Here she was interrupted again. "'Mr. Bennet protested against any description of finery.' She was therefore obliged to seek another branch of the subject, and related, with much bitterness of spirit and some exaggeration, the shocking rudeness of Mr. Darcy. "'But I can assure you,' she added, "'that Lizzie does does not lose much by not suiting his fancy, for he is a most disagreeable, horrid man, not at all worth pleasing, so high and so conceited that there was no enduring him. He walked here, and he walked there, fancying himself so very great.' "'not handsome enough to dance with. "'I wish you had been there, my dear, "'to have given him one of your set-downs. "'I quite detest the man.'" Chapter 4 When Jane and Elizabeth were alone, the former, who had been cautious in her praise of Mr. Bingley before, expressed to her sister just how very much she admired him. "'He is just what a young man ought to be,' said she, "'sensible, good-humoured, lively, "'and I never saw such happy manners. "'So much ease with such perfect good-breeding.' He is also handsome, replied Elizabeth, which a young man ought likewise to be if he possibly can his character is there be complete. I was very much flattered by his asking me to dance a second time. I did not expect such a compliment, did not you- I did for you, but that is one great difference between us. Compliments always take you by surprise, and me never. What could be more natural than his asking you again? He could not help seeing that you were about five times as pretty as every other woman in the room. No thanks to his gallantry for that. Well he certainly is very agreeable, and I give you leave to like him. You have liked many a stupider person. Dear Lizzie Oh, you are a great deal too apt, you know, to like people in general. You never see a fault in anybody. All the world are good and agreeable in your eyes. I never heard you speak ill of a human being in your life. I would not wish to be hasty in censuring anyone. "'but I always speak what I think. "'I know you do, and it is that which makes me wonder, "'with your good sense, to be so honestly blind to the follies and nonsense of others. "'Affection of candor is common enough, one meets with it everywhere. "'But to be candid without ostentation or design, "'to take the good of everybody's character and make it still better, "'and say nothing of the bad, belongs to you alone. "'And so you like this man's sisters too, do you? "'Their manners are not equal to his.' "'Certainly not, not at first, but they are very pleasing women when you converse with them. "'Miss Bingley is to live with her brother and keep his house, "'and I am much mistaken if we shall not find a very charming neighbour in her.' Elizabeth listened in silence, but was not convinced. "'Their behaviour at the assembly had not been calculated to please in general, "'and with more quickness of observation and less pliancy of temper than her sister, "'and with a judgment too unassailed by any attention to herself,' She was very little disposed to approve them. They were in fact very fine ladies, not deficient in good humour when they were pleased, nor in the power of making themselves agreeable when they chose it, but proud and conceited. They were rather handsome, had been educated in one of the first private seminaries in town, and had a fortune of twenty thousand pounds, were in the habit of spending more than they ought, and of associating with people of rank, and were therefore in every respect entitled to think well of themselves and meanly of others. They were of a respectable family in the north of England, a circumstance more deeply impressed on their memories than that their brother's fortunes and their own had been acquired by trade. Mr. Bingley inherited property to the amount of nearly a hundred thousand pounds from his father, who had intended to purchase an estate, but did not live to do it. Mr. Bingley intended it likewise, and sometimes made choice of his county. But as he was now provided with a good house and the liberty of a manor, it was doubtful to many of those who best knew the easiness of his temper, whether he might not spend the remainder of his days at Netherfield and leave the next generation to purchase. His sisters were anxious for his having an estate of his own, but though he was now only established as a tenant, Miss Bingley was by no means unwilling to preside at his table nor was Mrs. Hurst, who had married a man of more fashion than fortune, less disposed to consider his house as her home when it suited her. Mr. Bingley had not been of age two years, when he was tempted by an accidental recommendation to look at Netherfield. He did look at it, and into it for half an hour, was pleased with the situation and the principal rooms, and satisfied with what the owner said in its praise, and took it immediately. Between him and Darcy there was a very steady friendship, in spite of great opposition of character. Bingley was endeared to Darcy by the easiness, openness, and ductility of his temper, though no disposition could offer a greater contrast to his own, and though with his own he never appeared dissatisfied. On the strength of Darcy's regard, Bingley had the firmest reliance and of his judgment the highest opinion. In understanding, Darcy was a superior. Bingley was by no means deficient, but Darcy was clever. He was at the same time haughty, reserved, and fastidious, and his manners, though well-bred, were not inviting. In that respect, his friend had greatly the advantage. Bingley was sure of being liked wherever he appeared. Darcy was continually giving offence. The manner in which they spoke of the Meryton assembly was sufficiently characteristic. Bingley had never met with more pleasant people or prettier girls in his life. Everybody had been most kind and attentive to him, There had been no formality, no stiffness. He had soon felt acquainted with all the room, and as to Miss Bennet, he could not conceive an angel more beautiful. Darcy, on the contrary, had seen a collection of people in whom there was little beauty and no fashion, for none of whom he had felt the smallest interest, and from none received either attention or pleasure. Miss Bennet he acknowledged to be pretty, but she smiled too much. Mrs. Hurst and her sister allowed it to be so, but still they admired her and liked her and pronounced her to be a sweet girl and one whom they would not object to know more of. Miss Bennet was therefore established as a sweet girl and their brother felt authorized by such commendation to think of her as he chose. Okay, and that is the episode for today. Um, We're going to read the quote now. I'm going to on here a second. So it's, it's currently February 2nd and I'm going to read you February's quote. Here's what it says. It isn't what you have or who you are or where you are or what you are doing that makes you happy or unhappy. It is what you think about it. Dale Carnegie. What do you think? Do your circumstances um, affect how you are, like how you feel, um, or would you, like, okay, so for example, this is a very extreme example, but let's say, um, I'm taking an example for, from one of my favorite podcasts, let's say your house burns down, or it's, it has a fire, it doesn't burn down, but it, there's a fire in your house, okay, um, would you be happy under these circumstances, Probably not, because if it burns, then probably some of your stuff burned as well, so you might be unhappy. However, Um, what this quote might be saying is, you could also think, my house didn't fully burn down, Um, so you can be happy because it didn't fully burn down. If it did fully burn down, hey, at least I still have my family. At least I still have my friends. At least I still have my job or my studies or, you know, any other things that you may have. So, yeah, I'm going to leave you with that today. And have a great week. I will hopefully see you next Monday. All right? big thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs we heard today and to all of my listeners who listen to this so much thank you all so much to all of you, really really, I'm serious